You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Hopefully you've heard of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, It's a classic book. It's an allegory. Um, written describing a man's journey on this earth, and his goal is to get to the celestial kingdom of heaven. Uh, written by John Bunyan uh, to tell the story, really, of the Christian journey in life uh, and how Christ works in our hearts. Uh, in that encounter, he speaks about the main character, appropriately named Christian. Uh, during one encounter, he's going through the valley of humiliation. Uh, And there he is confronted by Apollyon, uh, the destroyer. Uh, And in the midst of being uh, inundated with doubt and despair, uh, fiery darts being thrown at him, Christian recalls that he has been given the full armor of God in Christ. And he not only needs to put on the full armor, but then Bunyan makes sure that Christian acknowledges he also needs all prayer. And where Bunyan was getting that phrase is from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. So I'd like you to look in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. And this morning, we're focusing on verses 18 through 20. Next week, we'll finish our study by looking at the final greeting there. Uh, But in verses 18 through 20, you have what Bunyan referred to as something that holds all of the armor in place that makes that spiritual principles and truths effective, and that is all prayer. Uh, So you notice in Ephesians 6, if you look at verse 18, it begins simply with, and pray in the Spirit. Now, if you go back to verse 14, verse 14 began with the words, stand firm then. And there's a connection between these verses. In other words, in order to stand firm, one must be covered, not just with the spiritual armor, 
but in addition be covered in and practice all prayer. So we're going to look at verses 18 through 20 and look at two aspects of what this includes. The first, simply directions for prayer. Uh, what are the directions that Paul gives us here to know how to pray in a way that is effective? And then secondly, not just directions for prayer, but in these two verses, we have a model of prayer. Uh, once again, in addition to the Lord's Prayer and other examples, we have here a model of prayer. So let me draw your attention to verse 18 as we begin with directions for praying. Uh, this may seem quite unusual. Like, why do we need directions? Doesn't that just come naturally to someone when you're a Christian? You just automatically kind of know how to pray? Well, I think the answer is yes and no. You now know that you have this access to God. But is prayer something that we can grow into and sharpen our ability to pray effectually? And so notice what Paul says in verse 18, just the first couple words. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. There are three components or elements of praying spiritually that Paul's unfolding here for us. And the first is simply pray spiritually. He says, and pray in the Spirit. Now the question would be, what does Paul mean by and pray in the Spirit? So this kind of fits. We've been talking in the adult class about spiritual gifts. Is Paul saying here we need to seek some kind of ecstatic, um, miraculous experience to be able to pray? Or is Paul saying here the way you should pray is in accordance with the working in person of the Holy Spirit? In other words, that Paul's not holding up here some unique, limited experience, but he's saying this is the reality for every believer. You need to pray spiritually. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in accordance to the Spirit's leading and guidance where he pulls in the scriptures to guide us in how to pray. And so to sort of support that, I want you to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. And we have two different places in Romans 8 where the ministry and working of the Holy Spirit related to prayer is presented to us. And again, the same writer of the letter of Ephesians, writing to a different group of believers in a different way, reminds them, and pray in the Spirit. Pray spiritually. Romans chapter 8, and look at verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so you have a title there for the Holy Spirit that he is the Spirit of Sonship. It is through the Spirit that Christ's work on the cross is applied to us by faith. And we are now sons and daughters. We are in the family of God. But in addition, as verse 16 reminds us, the Spirit continually confirms that in us. That, that we are children of God, that, that we have not just the privilege, but the, the right by grace to come before God in prayer, to pray spiritually. But then if you go a little further in Romans 
8, notice verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have two intercessors. You have one here on earth. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And he has to take those prayer requests that sometimes we, we wrestle with articulating and to convey them before Jesus Christ, our heavenly intercessor, on our behalf. Notice as well it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What would be the weaknesses? Well, probably referring to the fact we still have a sinful nature and at times our prayers can be more self-centered than God-centered. At times our prayers can be more directed toward our will, not what God's will is. And so one of the works of the Holy Spirit as you pray spiritually is to refine our prayers, to, to help our prayers be more focused where they should be, on God's glory on God's design, on God's working. That's all included when you just unpack these first couple words of verse 18 and pray in the Spirit. Even the Apostle Jude would pick up on this thought when in his very brief letter in the book of Jude, verse 20, he says, as believers facing a world where there are false teachers, he says, and pray in the Holy Spirit. So a consistency of the Bible teaching. What are, what's a guideline for prayer? Pray spiritually. Pray under the direction and guidance of the Spirit, which will always be in agreement with the Word of God. But if you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has a second element that goes with directions for prayer. And Paul is not at all hesitant to say, whether you've been a Christian a short while or for many, many years, these are directions for all of us. So back to verse 18, and now he goes on and says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now he adds another element, a guideline for prayer. Pray comprehensively. In other words, think about what do our prayers cover? And so he gives you some insight here as to what that means to pray comprehensively. First, he says, on all occasions. Now, this is a very specific word. It refers to at, at all decisive moments. And so, yes, we are to pray without ceasing in a very broad way. But aren't there moments, temptations, trials we're going through, which are very decisive moments? decisive encounters, much like Christian in Bunyan's book when he's going through the valley of humiliation. That that's a precise trial, a difficulty. And so when you think praying comprehensively, pray specifically on those occasions. This is what prayer is intended for, to strengthen us, to, to enable us to be able to stand in this armor in these spiritual truths that we have put on in Christ. 
But you notice he says, not just pray on all occasions, but with all kinds of prayers and requests. Some translations put this with all kinds of prayer and supplication. Now, it seems like these words do distinguish a little bit. They're both related to prayer. But in the fullest sense, prayer is not just you bringing your personal petitions before God. That, that is a part of prayer. But another whole dimension of prayer is intercessory prayer. Praying for the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying for those who are not believers. So when you think of guidelines to help you know how to pray, maybe consider sometimes, you know, where do your prayers tend to fall? And I would say if we don't check this once in a while, most of our prayers tend to be about us, our situation, our needs, what we feel we are going through. There's nothing wrong, and we should bring those before God, but if that exclusively is what your prayer life is being composed of, that's not meeting the directions for praying that Paul's giving here. He's saying our prayers need to be comprehensive. Prayers and supplication, intercession for ourselves, but intercession and pleading for the needs of others. Many of you are probably familiar with Martin Luther, the, one of the key reformers. Uh, had a good friend, Philip Melanchthon, and on one occasion he wrote to him, and in his letter, he said, I'm going through some very difficult trials. I'm begging you, please pray for me. Pray for me. Well, what a reminder to us as Christians that our prayers need to be much bigger than just our own little immediate world and needs. So Paul says, pray on all occasions with prayers and requests. But then he has Another dimension he's going to add in a moment, but you'll notice if you look closely at verse 18, you have four times the word all or its equivalent, everyone, everything, all kinds are stressed. What a way for Paul to say, you know, your prayer should be broad, specific, not, not so general that there's no way to kind of clarify what are you actually asking God for? but they should be broad in their scope. Just kind of listen to this again. On all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keeping on praying for all the saints. Anytime you see any particular form of speech repeated that many times in one verse, says to you, Paul's stressing this. He's emphasizing this. Later, when Paul will write to Timothy to give him guidance on how to pastor a church, he says, Timothy, teach your people to pray for all people in authority. So notice this thought of praying spiritually, praying comprehensively, is not lost on Paul's other letters. It's a part of how he would look at prayer, and I think how we should look at prayer. But there's a third element in verse 18 that probably is one that we, we've all heard this, but yet we're all guilty of not following through on this. At the end of verse 18 in Ephesians 6, with this in mind, in other words, with this in end before you, be alert, always keep praying for all the saints. Pray with perseverance. 
C.S. Lewis was known as saying, far too often we, it's not that our prayers are not answered, we, we give up too quickly. We, we don't pray with perseverance. And listen to how Paul puts that. Be alert. Be watchful. Be vigilant in this. Implying our tendency will be we will grow discouraged. We, we will not see maybe something immediately that tells us these prayers are being heard. And so we, we give up. And I'll start to think of Paul's not the only one who mentioned this concern to believers. Jesus Christ on at least two occasions, and certainly others, gave similar instruction. In Luke 18, he gives a parable of this persistent widow who, who keeps coming to someone for a need. And finally, the, the person gives in and says, I, I just can't take this persistence anymore. And, and the point of the parable was to teach his disciples to persevere in prayer. And in fact, at the end of the parable, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he see such faith on earth? In other words, saying there's a connection here between praying with perseverance and your faith in God, your trust in God. And I think that is true as we think of prayer. Prayer is easy when you think you see the immediate results of it. When maybe it's something tangible that you can touch and measure. But what happens when those prayers are not measurable to us? It does not mean as a child of God that those prayers have not been heard. But it means and reminds us God's ways are not always our ways. And so we must pray with perseverance and we could say, in a way, you should pray until the prayer is answered or until God changes your request. That's praying with perseverance. But let me have you look at Mark chapter 14, which the occasion itself merits attention when we know the rest of the story. Mark chapter 14 and verses 37 through 38. Uh, not only did Jesus need to teach his disciples in general, don't give up praying. But there were three in particular that needed this lesson, Peter, James, and John. Uh, in other words, those that certainly were the, the closest to Christ, those that we might hold up as being ones that would be the worthy examples of others, and yet we see their own frailty at times in failing to pray with perseverance. Mark chapter 14, Verses 37 and 38 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus leaves them to go off and pray to the Father. It says in verse 37, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And all you need to do is go a little bit further and you see Peter's denial of Christ, the failure to trust in God, and to not be watchful and remain in prayer. How appropriate that Paul, in writing to believers, how do you stand in a world where your faith is constantly going to be under attack 
and challenge. Not just outwardly, but even inwardly because you're still a sinful creature. How, how can you stand firm? Well, you must stand in all prayer that binds everything together. But that gives you an example of directions for prayer. But I mentioned a second dimension of Ephesians 6 and verses 18 through 20 is a model of prayer. And Paul's already in Ephesians given us two prayers where he has prayed for the church. And so we could look and say, well, those are good models. But I think we sometimes fail to realize in verses 19 and 20, Paul's two requests are a model of prayer to us. They say to us that prayer should always be driven by the desire to glorify God. And so you notice his two requests, beginning in verse 19, having prayed for them on numerous occasions, now says, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's first request that models for us this is praying with the glory of God before you, would be that he be given the right words to speak. Now you want me thinking about this. What does Paul mean by that? That, that? that God would give him the right words to speak. Well, he gives you a little indication. He says that I would make known the mystery of the gospel. That mystery, he's explained to us in Ephesians 2 through chapter 3, that now Jew and Gentile in Christ are made one. That's the mystery, that he wants to have the right words to speak when he opens his mouth. But the reality would be, well, hasn't Paul been doing that? He's, he's a missionary, he's an apostle, he's establishing churches. Why would he kind of accentuate now? Here's my prayer request. Well, I think it's because Paul is in prison in Rome. And he's anticipating an opportunity to defend himself before Caesar, where he's going to have to explain how does Christianity relate to the Jewish faith? Because from the Roman eyes, Jews were permitted to practice their faith. But there was no recognition here of what is this Christianity? Is this completely a new uh, faith that somehow has suddenly erupted? Uh, Paul needs wisdom, how to open his mouth and explain to Caesar, by God's grace, who is not a believer. I'm not promoting here something that is going against Judaism. I'm actually fulfilling what Judaism was pointing to. It spoke of the promise of the Messiah. This is the completion of that century-old promise. How interesting, Paul does not say anything about pray that I'd be comfortable, pray that no one would criticize me in this endeavor, pray that I would get out of prison real soon because I don't like it here. He prays for the glory of God that when I open my mouth, I, I would have the right words to speak but you notice in verse 20, the first part of the verse, the irony when he says, I am an ambassador in chains. 
Now, what you need to think about in terms of that is what we think of ambassadors today is basically the same thing the Roman Empire thought of ambassadors. It was a position of honor. Uh, it was a position basically that meant you were immune from imprisonment. And even today, we've seen cases like that where someone maybe commits something overseas, they're an ambassador, and, and they are immune from imprisonment in some cases because they are an ambassador. But Paul says, I'm not an ambassador in chains because of Rome. I'm an ambassador in chains because of Christ. That would get your attention as you hear this being read. Wait a minute, ambassadors are honored. They, they don't go to prison. And Paul's turning that upside down saying, I'm, I'm an appointed representative of Jesus Christ. So it's not Caesar who has me in chains, even though I'm in a Roman imprisonment. But I'm in chains for Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. In other words, his first prayer request is all about the glory and honor of Christ. But then he has a second prayer request at the very end of verse 20. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Not just that I would open my mouth in the right words, but now he's getting to his own heart attitude and recognition. Paul needs boldness. He needs to be able to declare God's word in this kind of setting, without restraint, with a, a sense of candidness and confidence in Jesus Christ. But then he adds a phrase to that at the very end, as I should. What does that tell you Paul's thinking? Paul's saying, this is my debt. This is my obligation as a, an apostle. But I would even go farther than that as a Christian this is my obligation to speak about Jesus Christ. And so as you think of Paul's desire in Ephesians to have the believers in that church stand firm in their faith, he says you need to understand the spiritual truth that is depicted in the imagery of the different pieces of the armor. But all of those pieces are held together, are made effectual by putting on all prayer. John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, has gone through repeated republishing. It has sold hundreds of thousands of copies, been translated into over 120 different languages. What makes the book, the allegory, so appealing? Because it's not just the story of a guy named Christian trying to be faithful to Christ until he gets to the celestial city, to heaven. It's really the journey of all of us in Christ. How vital it is that we understand you cannot stand in the armor that has been given us in God without all prayer. But he wrote that book not to entertain. He didn't read it, he didn't write it, so children would read it and have this very elaborate picture. He wrote it for believers to be challenged. And so it's at this point for all of us to kind of ask ourselves, what role does prayer play in our life? 
Is it just an immediate sort of emergency mode that we get into when there's a crisis, when there's a trial? Now, there are times where that kind of prayer is definitely appropriate and to be a part of our walk in the Christian life. But if that's all prayer is to you, then you're not putting on all prayer. You're not praying spiritually. You're not praying comprehensively. You're not praying as you should, as Paul has established here. Because the directions are quite clear. And the model itself is a challenge to us to, to think about how we pray. We'll have opportunity later this afternoon to pray together. But how do our prayers sound? And, and not thinking of, well, how do they sound to one another? Because we're not to be critiquing or judging each other's prayer, which I don't believe we do. But we should be thinking, do these prayers reflect to God, who we are speaking to, that we're seeking his kingdom first? That our requests, in a way, are similar to Paul's here. It's all about God. And it's all about God's work. And God's work through us and in us to accomplish his perfect way. Christian would not have made it to the celestial city without the spiritual armor of God, without all prayer being an integral part. And throughout it, it's evident that it is a work of God through the believer that will be the means of our assurance of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may this text disturb us. May it cause us in a new way to look at prayer, to refine misconceptions that we have by your grace to correct the areas when we pray that we often go amiss. And Lord, if we're not praying, or we only pray just on Sundays, may you convict us that that really is not prayer, and there's no way we will be able to stand firm in the faith if that is all prayer means to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.